This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for June 25th, 2023. The title of the message is Save to Teach, Part 2, Older Women. Well, if you would open your Bibles with me this evening, uh, we take up again Paul's uh, pastoral epistles, uh, and we continue in Paul's letter to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Uh, I've decided to split this passage up into to four, uh, maybe five sections after tonight. <laughs> uh, I, you know, some of these these um, instructions are so packed with with uh, wisdom and insight into how God's people ought to live. I decided to just take my time to go uh, verse by verse, section by section. So, uh, just to give you a little bit of context. Uh, Paul is uh, instructing Titus on how he ought to conduct his ministry. And now he's at a point in which he's telling Titus to teach sound doctrine, teach according to sound doctrine. And now he's applying what that looks like in, in the particular groups that make up the church, the older women, or the older men, older women, younger women, and then, uh, and then uh, younger men as well. And then, he goes on to like bond servants and um, and to the whole church. This applies in many ways generally as well to the whole church, but in in, in specifically to these groups. So uh, before we hear God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, would you feed us this evening? Lord, may it be sweeter to our lips than honey. Uh, may it be uh, uh, the light uh, of our of our path. May it be that which gives us energy and nourishment. Lord, would you be with me? Would you give me your Holy Spirit that as I read and particularly as I preach, your word would go forth and it would not return unto you void without accomplishing all that you ordain this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hear now then the reading of God's holy word beginning in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children." to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the 
of God, our Savior. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, when I uh, was an intern at uh, the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia, uh, I remember hearing the stories of the history of that church. It, it is the oldest church in, in the South. When I was there, they celebrated their, th- their 300th and thir- 350th birthday. Well, let me see. 250th birthday, excuse me, and uh, uh, of their founding. It was the, the, the founding of the church preceded the colony of Georgia. Uh, it is, it, I, I remember uh, seeing the little, there's a little rock upon, you know, right near um, the, the coast of, of, of Savannah, Georgia. And it's supposed to be the rock where, where John Wesley landed in Georgia and stood up on this rock and preached um, the gospel uh, in North America. And it is also uh, the region in which George Whitfield, uh, it's the, um, it's where the orphanage that he was working for as he did his itinerant ministry was located uh, right there near Savannah, Georgia. And so this was a very historic and, and storied congregation. And uh, there was a time in the life of that church when the whole church was sliding into liberalism. Uh, the pastor was a, a Bardian neo-Orthodox minister uh, in the uh, uh, early to late 80s, I believe. Uh, no, yes. And, and so, I, so the church was dwindling from a few thousand to like 80 people. And I remember talking to the secretaries. They had been they had been there for forty plus years, and so they knew uh, that whole time intimately. And I and my fellow um, pastors, uh, my my pastors that I was interning under, and I remember asking them, "So, what 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 was it like, and what happened?" And so they told me that that the the pastor uh, didn't preach the gospel. Uh, people were leaving. The church was. Uh, more and more unregenerate. They were not, many were not Christian or they did not know the gospel. Even some of the elders were not Christians. They were good businessmen. They were good managers. They were smart. They were doctors, lawyers, but they weren't necessarily Christian. And so the church, this huge church dwindled to about 80 people. And I, and I said, so what turned it around? And what I thought the answer would be was, you know, my my, the, the, the pastor that I interned under, Terry Johnson, I thought, oh, well, you know, the church turned around when he came. And, and I, that's what I was expecting to hear. And that's not what they told me. To, to, to a person, when I asked that question, they said many years before Terry came, when the church was dwindling and they, and, and the, they knew that the pastor wasn't preaching the gospel and they, want, they, they questioned whether he even believed the gospel, a group of godly older women got together and prayed faithfully every Wednesday at noon. They got together and prayed for years and years, every Wednesday at noon. And they prayed for revival. They prayed that God would bring a new pastor. Uh, They would let God take care of how that would happen. But they prayed that prayer and that they prayed that a 
godly pastor, a, a pastor who preached the gospel, who loved the Lord, who could renew the church would come. And as a result of those prayers, as a result of that meeting of those godly older women, uh, the pastor all of a sudden dropped out of ministry. Uh, the, the elders, there were enough Christian, you know, regenerate elders, there were enough regenerate elders, Christian elders, that they had a small enough majority to choose a Christian pastor, a pastor who loved the Lord. And they ended up calling my mentor, Terry Johnson. And I remember hearing stories of how the very first time he preached the gospel in that church, people stood up and said, praise the Lord, the gospel has returned. And they all attribute it to the older women gathering and praying. Not to Terry, <laughs> you know, but to, the, to those godly women. And it is, it is the example and the, and the ministry of these older women to one another that God used to turn the tides of the gospel in this church. This evening, it is this kind of ministry of the older women that Paul uh, describes for us that I hope we as a church can embody uh, among the older women and specifically, but also to take those general principles and, and apply them to ourselves as well in our general office. And so in verse 1, we, we saw how to teach according to sound doctrine. Um, and then in verse 2, we see how, how Paul applies that to the life and conduct of older men. That it's not enough to simply teach sound doctrine. It has to be lived out. Right? That's how you know sound doctrine is truly sound, that it's healthy doctrine. Right? I mentioned again that the Greek word for sound is, is the same word from which we get hygiene, right? healthy, healthy, holistic doctrine. And so, so it has to be, sound doctrine has to lead to a sound, healthy Christian life. And that's why Paul goes on to describe what older men ought to be in light of this the teaching of the sound doctrine. And then in verse three, he moves on and he says, likewise, older women are to do the same. And then he goes into specifics later on. And so tonight, I want us to look at what that, what that means, what it means for the older women uh, to live out uh, godly lives according to sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. First, older women teach us how to live in accord with sound biblical doctrine. Right? As I mentioned in verse 1 and 2, sound doctrine is the bedrock foundation for sound, healthy Christian living. And everything we learn from God's word is the foundation upon which we build a healthy Christian life. And this is why, after telling Titus to teach sound doctrine, he shows us the outcome of that doctrine in older men. And now... Uh, verse two, if you look at it with me in verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And then in the same fashion, he says, likewise, in verse three, older women are to be. And so Paul is reminding us that older Christians, whether uh, men or women, uh, 
have a responsibility to be examples to the younger members of the Church of Jesus Christ. To those who have been given more, more will be required of them. Older Christians, um, older Christian women, you are the spiritual mothers and, and, and father, older men, you are the fathers of the church. We learned from our spiritual mothers and fathers uh, so that we can mature, right? We are, uh, we're not just a family uh, metaphorically. We really are a family spiritually. Brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers. And we have to mature through the teaching and the, 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 uh, the passing down by example and by teaching from the older to the younger generation. That's how our, our, all of our families uh, help us, right? We were all children born into a Christian home, or maybe some of us were born in a Christian home and others were not, but it was our parents, the older, teaching us how we ought to live to mature, to be productive, well-adjusted, hopefully wise, and if we were born into a Christian home, in a Christian way, to mature in a Christian way. And the same ought to be said of the church of Jesus Christ. And so how do, how do these spiritual mothers and fathers teach us uh, how to mature in Christ? They teach us who God is, what the scriptures teach, how to pray, how to love and serve God and his people, how to, how to give sacrificially. They teach us how a Christian ought to live. They embody the teachings that are, are, are taught in the ministry of discipleship. Uh, see, the, 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 the ministry of discipleship in any given church is not information download. It's life transformation, uh, where the learning is for the living. Right? Doctrine is for doxology. They teach us not only how to live, but they teach us how to struggle and fight sin. Uh, they teach us how to apply the gospel, to repent of our sins, and to be renewed through the power of that gospel in the grace of God, leading to, to godly lives. They teach us how to live faithful lives over a long period of time. When I, let me put it this way, over the past five years, even through this pandemic, I have seen ministers and pastors and seasoned Christians drop out of the Christian faith like flies. It would be so discouraging if I would just go on and on about the people I know who've dropped out of ministry uh, for a moral lapse or, or for one reason or another, even adultery. It would be so discouraging if, if uh, there were no other examples of Christians who've lasted to the very end, who've lived long, godly lives, faithfully and fruitfully. Uh, the... Uh, uh, the Barbara and, and Rollin are examples. Um, they went through so much difficulty towards the end of their life, but they, they were, but they loved the Lord and they were faithful to him to the very end. And so it is their example that Paul is calling us to consider. 
and to learn from and for them to teach us. And so we learn to live the fullness of the Christian life by walking side by side with other more mature Christians as we follow Jesus together. And this is why Paul makes it a point to, teach, to show how teaching sound doctrine leads to sound Christian living. Um, secondly, the, the next point, older women also teach us how to live reverently in accord with sound doctrine, right? This isn't to say that men don't, right? But likewise, uh, the Apostle Paul is summarizing what it means to, to be reverent in behavior, to reflect that sound doctrine, in a reverent way. Look at verse three. He says, Paul says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. And that word likewise points us back to verse two, points us back to the characteristics of old men, of older men. And that's what he means by being reverent in behavior. And what is that? Uh, To be sober-minded, right? To be sober-minded, verse two. Uh, I mean, yes, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Uh, That's uh, at least a summary in being likewise, uh, behaving like uh, the older men who also uh, live according to sound doctrine. And so the women ought to as well. But what I want to point out here in verse 3 is the idea of how sound doctrine not only leads to a sound Christian life, but it leads to a reverence of life. One of the struggles that I think many of us have in the Christian life is how Christian doctrine leads us not only into a transformed life, that that sound doctrine ought to really make a difference. We ought to, there, there ought to be something in our life that changes because of what we learn. But even more than that, it ought to change our posture in life how we think of ourselves, how we think about our lives, how we think about our priorities, the humility with which we live, the gospel in which we walk. We ought to have a deeper reverence and awe of the Lord as a result of the sound doctrine that we learn. Not just more information, better information, but something that leads to a life of worship, of reverence and awe. I remember taking a systematics class, uh, class after class in seminary, learning about all the doctrines that ministers ought to learn. Uh, The doctrine of God, of man, uh, the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, right? The historia salutis, the ontological and economic trinity, the these are all ways of, uh, of what the scriptures teach about the Trinity in itself and in the way in which uh, the Trinity, um, uh, the Trinity uh, does, it, does their, the work of God in, in the world, right? The covenants of works and of grace and of redemption. And being the geek that I am, being the Korean-American, second generation that I am, I studied systematic theology like I studied chemistry and physics. Put it all on, on you know, three by five index cards, tested myself over and over, and I learned everything in and out, the cross references, the words, the theological concepts. 
uh, inside and outside, backwards and forwards. And I studied to get an A. Not to be, not to be a better preacher, not to be a better pastor, not to grow in my faith. One day I was taking, I was furiously taking notes as my professor was teaching us on the character and the nature of Christ's active obedience, active and passive obedience. And I was like writing, my hands started to cramp. Some of you guys can identify with me, right? My hands started to cramp and I just couldn't write. So I was like, oh, and then I looked at my, my good friend next to me and he put his pen down. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe his hand cramped too. <laughs> and as the, as the professor was, was laying out uh, the character of Christ's death on the cross, the character of his active obedience, the character of his passive death and suffering, uh, the, the, the professor was preaching, really. And this friend next to me who had put his pen down, closed his eyes, and he was weeping. He was weeping, and he was praying to the Lord. I could see his lips moving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're such an amazing God. You're so good. He was just weeping and worshiping, and I was cut to the core. I looked at him, and he, he learned the doctrine, the way it should be learned. I did not. He lived those truths with reverence and awe. Is that the way that you and I learn the scriptures? Is that the way you and I learn the doctrines which we believe? With reverence and awe, with tears of joy for God's grace in our lives? with tears of sorrow for sins committed against a loving and holy God, do we worship him as we learn about him? That's what Paul is talking about here with older women being reverent in behavior as a result of of learning sound doctrine. Friends, brothers and sisters, Would you commit yourself to not be information gatherers posing as disciples, but to be those who worship the Lord as you learn who he is, that you have a real palpable experience and knowledge of God that grips you Um, and, uh, and that you can't, there is no dry eye when you study these things the way they ought to be studied, to learn these truths that ought to hit you to the core of who you are, to say, my Lord and my God. Thirdly, older women also teach us what is good through the character of their lives. Look at verse 3. They are to teach what is good, right? In contrast to what is evil or sinful. And let me just stop and say this. As I mentioned, Paul is giving us a blueprint for women's ministry in the church of Jesus Christ, that older women are to teach by by word and example uh, how younger women ought to love. And that's exactly what we see here. 
How should older women teach what is good? By training the young women to love their husbands and children. That's, that's specifically what Paul is pointing out as what is good in relation to these older women. And this is an important tool for women's ministry to one another and, uh, and women's discipleship in general. Right? Uh, there are some things that we as pastors and as men can teach from the word of God and it ought to be sufficient. But at the same time, God has gifted the church of Jesus Christ with fellow women who understand the ins and outs and the difficulties and the pitfalls and the joys of what it means to be a Christian woman uh, in the Christian family with a Christian husband and children in the church of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that I feel like I can teach them, but they will, but you will not, but the, the women will not fully understand unless and until they learn it through another woman. And so that's why there's such an importance uh, to women's ministry. Paul singles out the older women to teach the younger women for a reason. Uh, something that, that, uh, uh, that, that pastors and teachers um, cannot do. And that's not to take away from the ministry of the word. It doesn't, doesn't denigrate the, the ministry of the word to say that women can teach other women too. Um, and so, like all of God's commands, to love one another, let alone your husband and children, doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily. Like all of, uh, it, like all of God's command, it is really, really hard. Why? Because it's hard to love another sinner. It's not easy to love a husband who's just as much, if not more of a sinner than you are. It's not easy to love your children who are born and conceived in sin and love to rebel in sin. I remember the first time my girls, don't tell them this, I, I'm only giving this, this uh, illustration because they're not here, okay? And don't, don't you go tattling on me. Uh, they'll probably hear about it somehow. But I remember the first time my girls lied to my face, a bald-faced lie that I knew was untrue. There were cookies on top of the table. And my, my girls were there, and they, she would, I think... Uh, uh, the, this particular daughter was about one, maybe a little over one, and and uh, she was she could reach the top of the table, and and uh, and the, there was some cookies that had, that went missing, and I remember looking at my daughter and saying, "Did you eat the cookies?" And I just see this like, Mm-mm. and she knew exactly what I was asking. And there were crumb, cookie crumbles all over her face, chocolate running down her face, like she'd stuffed it, you know, as if uh, someone's going to take it from her. She's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't take it. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I did not teach her to lie. She knew, she knew how to lie herself. Uh, total depravity is, it is indeed the, uh, the uh, empirically verifiable doctrine <laughs> that you don't have to necessarily prove from Scripture. It's true. It's, people know it. 
um, it's hard. It's hard. Things only get harder as they grow up. I mean, you know, they talk back to you. They, you know, do all, all these things that they just, you know, eat you at your heart. And, and then when they, you think things get old, things get better as they get older. No, they just teach, they just teach you how to pray more. <laughs> I think children and, 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 and spouses are, are one of the most sanctifying influences a Christian, that God uses uh, to sanctify a Christian. Uh, but, but older women are called to teach younger women how to love their sinful husbands, how to love their sinful and rebellious children, how to love them through the good times, how to love them through the hard times, how to love them when you feel like you don't even have a spouse, how to love them when they sin against you, when they speak ill to you, when even when they abuse you in one way or another, even your own children, the Lord teaches us how to love, and particularly the older women who've experienced it all already. They've suffered through it all and, and stuck close to the Lord. And out of the fullness of their own experience and their wisdom and their love for the Lord, they share it with us. They share it with the younger women who are having a hard time with their stubborn husbands uh, who uh, just throw their socks wherever, uh, who never do the dishes, uh, who never put the, the, the bath, the toilet seat down, uh, children who lie to their faces, uh, who uh, break their parents' hearts day and night. The older women know the heartbreak, but they also know the faithfulness of God. And they can show us the way. Uh, older women then also teach us um, how to live out the characteristics of what a godly woman woman ought to be. And, he, and uh, look at verse 5. That godly women um, teach, uh, the, teach the younger women by teaching them how, how to be self-controlled. Right? Not to be not to be driven and controlled by their sinful desires and passions. Uh, so when they get angry, when their husbands uh, treat them badly, the wives don't respond in kind, right? But a soft answer turns away wrath, uh, that they, uh, they love them uh, by submitting in a way that is godly and not ungodly not to fight back in anger, but to win them with grace, not with anger. Um, and when your husband or children don't treat you with respect, um, you have the, the spirit of peace and of self-control in Christ Jesus. Uh, the older women teach the younger women godly purity in both mind and in body, right? To be pure, uh, that we who have been redeemed by the holiness of Christ, we who have been cleansed and washed and made whiter than snow by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we have been purified through the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we ought, so the older women teach the younger women what that looks like in their context and in their life. 
And then the older women also teach uh, the younger women how to work at home. Uh, Now, uh, this is controversial in our culture, that, that a wife ought to stay home and work at home. Now, there are millions and millions of ways that what this will look like. It doesn't, it doesn't all look like one way. But at the, at the core of it all, at the, at the foundation of it all, the wife ought to at least work in some fashion at home. I, don't, I, I can't prescribe exactly what that looks like. That might mean doing all the housework or doing some of it or doing most of it. Uh, it means maybe cooking some meals or all the meals. It means doing um, the uh, uh, administration for the household, uh, all of it or some of it, or delegating, having it delegated. Uh, it means uh, watching over the children or homeschooling them or sending them to school uh, or, or, tell, or sending them to Christian school. In one way or another, the wife, uh, younger wife ought to work at home in some fashion. And it, and, and, it, and it doesn't mean uh, that they are oppressed or enslaved uh, or treated as second-class citizens in any given circumstance. It is a gift, a privilege. You know, the saying goes that the one who rocks the cradle rules the world. And all of that means is, is that, uh, that what a wife does at home in working is no small thing. I think it's one of the most important jobs in all the world. Where would we be if our moms didn't take care of us, didn't take care of the home in some way or fashion? Uh, If the husbands are called to go out and be breadwinners and to work hard, well, who, how is he supposed to, who's going to take care of the house while he's gone? Somebody's got to do it. Um, I just came back from Korea, uh, where South Korea, where they went from one of the poorest countries in the world to now one of the richest countries. And as a result of that, everybody wants to, to be successful and make a lot of money. And so because of that, couples are no longer getting married and marriages are are uh, no longer on solid footing the way that they used to be. And couples that do get married no longer want to have children because it, for them it costs too much and it takes too much time and it takes, it takes, it takes away from their own happiness. Right? And, um, and so, the, so the, the point is, is that the wives no longer want to work at home and everything else is falling apart in South Korea. And they say in about 30 or 40 years, there's a tipping point in the population in which it's going to drop over a cliff. And in, in something like maybe in less than 100 years, there's no, no, there's no longer going to be, quote unquote, Korean people the way that there's no longer going to be Japanese people because of a population cliff because no one's going to have kids. So and all of that, I think, arises from the fact that Wives no longer want to work at home. Uh, And then Paul goes on to talk about um, 
Uh, no, working at home and being kind, right? Again, it's a gospel virtue, right? That, that God is kind to us in Christ, and as a result, God calls us to be kind to one another. And, and what that means then for older women as they teach younger women how to be kind uh, in their marriages to their husbands and to their children. Uh, and that's a hard thing. Uh, I don't know if, if kindness comes easy for you, but uh, we're not born kind. We have to be taught. We have to, we have to learn by example. We have to see what kindness looks like in, in a fallen world. And the older women teach the younger women uh, what that looks like. And in, in doing so, as we look, stand back and look at, at, at how they all do that, we learn as well as men. Um, and then finally, sub, being submissive to their own husbands. Um, I wish I had more, way more time to preach on this. <laughs> I, I think I could preach a whole other sermon on submission of the wives to their husbands, and I will do that. And so I'm just going to, to, um, to all, all I'm going to do is say this, that the, the foundation, bedrock, grace of God, that older women are to teach the younger women in their godliness and in their lives is how to reflect the love of God as a wife to her husband, as Christ, as, as a church submits to Christ. That uh, you can preach the gospel, but you can also show the gospel in the very way in which a woman submits to her husband, to her own husband and not other men. But, uh, and all of that then brings us now to what it all means. Here's the bottom line. That when you live reverent lives in accordance with sound doctrine, it either adorns the gospel in its truth and goodness and beauty uh, so that the world can see how good God's grace is. Or we can bring revulsion to the world, or to God's word by going against it, uh, by not submitting, by being unkind, by not loving our husbands and children the way that that we ought to. Uh, That God's word, verse 5 here, that the word of God may not be reviled. You see, when the world looks in and sees the grace of God being embodied in the life of our church and for the older women and the younger women, The world ought to see the beauty of the gospel being displayed and not not to revile God's word, but to see its beauty and want it for themselves. Can I, you have a wonderful marriage, our neighbors ought to see. If you have a wonderful marriage, how do you do it? And you point them to the gospel. You can't, you didn't do it on your own. You didn't, you didn't read the latest book on, on the secular ideology of marriage. It's not 50-50. It's uh, biblical in its power and in its pattern. And uh, to not do that will bring revulsion to the word of God. So friends, brothers and sisters, make the gospel attractive 
in the way in which uh, you love one another. And older women teaching the younger women how to do this will, will make the gospel, will adore, will show the world how beautiful the gospel is. And in doing so, people will, will see the, the beauty of Jesus himself. Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this word that comes to us uh, from Paul. We pray that, that you would uh, imprint, and imprint these words and these truths into our hearts. And we pray particularly then for our women's ministry, for the older women as they uh, embody these truths and teach these truths to the younger women so that from generation to generation, uh, the godliness uh, will be passed on. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.